Hi, I'm Justin Anderson, lead pastor of Icon Church. And before the sermon starts, I just wanted to say a couple things. First is that I hope this sermon is a blessing to you, that it encourages you during this time of uncertainty uh, and, and also pushes you forward in your relationship with Christ. Second, uh, if you want more resources and more information, go to iconchurch.org slash rule for life and you'll find a ton of resources about this series and about our church. So God bless and enjoy the message. Hey Icon, Justin here and uh, we're on video again. It's great to be with you. Uh, I heard a pastor say this week that if you want to learn how to play chess, that you should start by taking the queen off the board. And that this moment is kind of our queen off the board moment for the local church. We have lost what has for most of our lives been the most powerful tool that we have, which is the gathering of God's people in a local church. And we've taken that off the board. And I, what I think is that this is an incredible moment for the church to just be the church without the easiest part of being the church. And what that means is it's a real challenge for us in a, in a good and helpful way. And personally, something I'm really excited about to see the ways that the church is going to respond and be the church without the queen, without the easy moment of gathering together as the people of God. So we're going to do this in a couple of different ways here at Icon. First is I want you to continue to gather and I want you to continue to give. I think these are the two pieces of ways that we can continue to be the church in this time. And here's what I mean by gather and give. We have the opportunity to gather digitally as we are right now on our church online platform or on Facebook Live and be with people. So we're posting this liturgy at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. each Sunday and really encourage you to engage not just with the content, not just with the sermon, but with the people in the chat uh, and as a community that you would engage this thing. So first, gather together on Sundays with us at 10 and 5. And then secondly, gather together again digitally in community groups. So we have community groups spread all over the city, which doesn't matter at all right now because we're all digital. So it makes it even easier for you to connect with community around you. So if you text ICON to 97,000, we will get you connected to community. We've got community groups gathering on Zoom all throughout the week, all over the place. Um, in addition to that, we are doing Zoom dailies. So every single day, Monday through Friday, from 12 to 1 p.m., a group of people are getting on Zoom uh, to chat about different things. So Monday, we do live Q&A, so questions that you have from the sermon. I'm engaging those things uh, in real time, live, and you guys can, we can all talk together. It's super fun. Tuesdays, we're doing book club. The book is called The Benedict Option, and uh, we'd love for you to jump in. It's not too late for that. Order that on Amazon, The Benedict Option by Rod Dreher. Uh, and then Wednesdays, we're going to get together to pray. I'm going to lead a prayer time for us to pray for each other, pray for our community, and pray for our city. Thursdays, we're going to have a topical conversation about things that are going on in our lives, how we're dealing with quarantine, what uh, new movies we're watching or TV shows we're obsessed with or whatever, just a chance to meet and talk and chat. And then Fridays, every Friday, we're going to get together to do a Bible study and we're going to study the book of Philippians. So encourage you to continue to gather with people in whatever way you can. And then secondly, we want you to continue to give. And here's what that means. 
Icon always gives away 10% of all of its internal giving to church planting and to missionaries, to external things, something that blesses someone or something that isn't Icon. Every single month, we give away 10%. During April, May, and June, at least, we're gonna give away an, an, an additional 10%. So 20% of our internal giving, we are gonna give away. The 10% will continue to go to church planners and missionaries, but that second 10% is going to go to people who are in need because of coronavirus. So that could be like benevolence uh, fund for people inside our church community. And it's also going to be strategic partners that we have in the city serving those uh, that are in need as a result of what's happening. So if you continue to give generously, we will continue to give generously. And here's, here's the piece. This is what we think is so important during this time. It is a Christian witness for us to, in the midst of crisis, not pull back, not restrict, but actually double our generosity and press more further in, more further into our, to the needs of our community. And so we want to encourage you to do the same thing, but not just giving money. We want you to give time. So what I'm going to challenge you all to do is every single day that every one of us would reach out to somebody in our lives, just to check in, just to see how they're doing. Someone that we don't live with, someone that we're not in regular contact with, that we would just reach out to a different person every day that everyone would reach one every single day and just check in, say, how are you? Thinking about you. Is there anything I can be praying for you about? And that we would give of our time in that way for the sake of people around us. So that's my challenge to us. The queen's been taken off the board. How will we play chess here in this crazy time of challenge for our church? Can we actually be the church when we don't have our most powerful weapon, the gathering of God's people? Can we do it? I think we can. We have a ton of resources for you for this series. Uh, at iconchurch.org slash a rule for life. And I, I think this is going to be a super helpful series for you uh, and for all of us to kind of learn how to navigate these times personally and as a local church. And we've, we've put a ton of resources on the website. So I encourage you to go there. Um, now let's transition to this morning's message. We are in Matthew chapter 22. So if you want to turn to Matthew 22, um, this is week two of our series, A Rule for Life. And before we get into um, really the meat of the series, which is studying kind of the spiritual disciplines that God's given us, I want to give us one more kind of big picture idea that helps shape the way we look at and the way we think about spiritual disciplines. So read with me from Matthew 22 and, uh, and we'll get into this idea. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34 says, when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, they said, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, right? We call this the greatest commandment. 
right? These Pharisees come up to Jesus and try to challenge him, catch him in a, in a lie or in a challenging situation and, and ask him, what is the most important commandment of all the commandments? There's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. They're saying, pick your favorite, right? He says, the most important thing is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And before they could interrupt and say anything, he goes, and a second is like it. In case you thought that this faith thing, this religion thing, is just this kind of private spiritual relationship between you and God. He goes, you know what? There's one exactly like it that we'll call the second greatest commandment, and that is love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So what I want to do today is to have us think about spiritual disciplines through the lens of the greatest and the second greatest commandment. Last week... I talked uh, about Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus invites us to take on his yoke, his way of being. And the, the visual of a yoke is of two ox, oxen, couldn't figure it out last week, still don't know, uh, probably should look that one up, uh, together, yoked together by a piece of wood, they're tied together to pull a cart, to pull a wedge, to plow a field, whatever that may be, um, and they are, they are meant to be tied together so that the strength of the two of them is, is kind of unified to pull the cart, right? Jesus's invitation to us is to be yoked to him, to be kind of on his program, to be with him, to be pulling what he's pulling, to be going where he's going, to be a kind of a follower of his way, right? So when Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is to love God with everything that we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves, he is describing for us what his yoke is, right? This is what Jesus is pulling us towards. We talked last week about how with the, with the ox, you want the two oxen to be of similar strength and speed so they pull at about the same level. But with God, that's not the case. When we yoke ourselves to Jesus, we're getting on his program. He's the strong one. He knows what the mission is. And so his invitation to us is to join with him where he's going. And he just told us where he's going. That the yoke of Jesus is that we would love God with all that we are and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. So what does this have to do with the rule of life? It's this. A rule of life isn't primarily for you. A rule of life is meant to form you, but it's not for you. Now, this may seem like semantics, but it's not. This is a really important distinction. That the rule of life is not for our own self-discovery. A rule of life is not for our experience. A rule of life is not for our self-expression. It's not for Instagram, right? We don't do the, the pieces of a rule of life so that we can um, post a picture of ourselves, you know, early in the morning with our Bible and our notes and our coffee just so, you know, and, and have that perfect shot to express our devotion to Jesus. That's not what this is for. Right? Nor is it for an experience that we would sit in the presence of God and feel something. Not that we don't and not that we won't, not that even that we shouldn't, but that's not what it's for. It's not for you. It's to form you. Now, here's an example. This is the difference between working out for selfies and working out to actually prepare yourself for a purpose. 
right? The most effective way to work out is to work out with some goal in mind, with some looming test in mind, right? So you're working for a triathlon or you're working to run a marathon or working for some future goal that you're going to be tested on. It's the best way and most effective way to work out because it actually makes you do something, not just go to the gym to walk around and take a selfie and kind of cut some reps and whatever, because there's going to come a day where whatever you've been doing is going to be laid bare, right? So a couple years back, I wanted to join the thousand pound club. Now, I don't know if that's a club. I'm in it. I just decided to make it a club. But the thousand pound club was this, that between three different lifts, deadlift, squat, and bench press, that those weights would add up to a thousand pounds. So it was 400 pound deadlift, 350 pound squat, and 250 pound bench press. Now, for some of you, that sounds like a lot of weight, and it is. Honestly, that's why I'm using this illustration, so that you would know that. Um, but the point is, I have never been so dedicated in all my life to working out because I knew the day was going to come and there were going to be my buddies around me going, all right, did you do it? Right? So when I was working out in the months leading up to it, it didn't benefit me at all to cut reps, to go halfway, to stand around and chat because that day of judgment was coming. Okay? So this idea that a, a rule of life and our spiritual disciplines are actually far more effective when they're not primarily about us, but they are primarily about what will be formed in and through us makes them actually a lot more effective. And, and this is not just true for a rule of life. It's not just true for our spiritual lives. It's really true for everything, right? It's true for artists and musicians. Uh, it's true for athletes, right? An athlete that plays the game for himself is not going to be the kind of athlete, not going to be the successful athlete that we want them to be, right? They're not playing for their teammates. They're not playing for the team. They just play for themselves. So they end up taking bad shots or making selfish plays. Um, and artists, we see this all the time. An artist comes out with uh, an album, their first album, and it's so good because it was pure and they were writing about what they were seeing in the world. And it was this fresh expression of their experience and they get some fame. And then what do you hear? They say, we made this album for us. And guess what? It usually sucks, right? Because when you make an album for yourself, you lose all of the creative juice that makes it good. And so that second album is often not very good because they start making it for themselves. And then what happens? they're not popular anymore. And so they try to make an album for the fans and it's more of like a pandering to what they want. They've lost their vision for what it is the purpose of their art actually is, which is to help people to see the world in a new way, to see their experience in a fresh way. C.S. Lewis talks about this when he talks about originality. He goes, if you try to be original, you'll never be original. But if you try to tell the truth, Nine times out of 10, you'll be original without even trying. So when we utilize something like a rule for life for ourselves and to try to be somebody, we miss the total point of it. Jesus tells us the point of our own discipline, the point of our spiritual growth is not for us. It's to love God and it's to love neighbor, right? Last night I was at home uh, with my family and my wife was getting uh, dinner ready. And I said, hey, would you want me to make some like appetizer kind of thing for us to hang out? We were standing in the kitchen. She's like, yeah, it'd be great. And so I took a knife out of the drawer and I started to sharpen the knife, right? And she goes, why are you sharpening the knife? I'm like, well, I'm going to 
cut some cheese. She goes, you need to sharpen the knife for, for cutting the cheese? Are we that weak? Is that where we're at? And I'm like, yeah, because you know I don't work out hard anymore. I already used that illustration, right? And so here's the thing. A, a, you don't sharpen a knife just to put it back in the drawer. You sharpen a knife in order to make it sharp so that it can cut people and things more things. I live in a tough neighborhood, Lower Madrona. It's really tough. So we use knives for a lot of different reasons. You, you, you sharpen the knife for a thing, for a purpose, right? And so when we sharpen our souls through the use of spiritual disciplines and a rule for life, we do so for other things. And in this case, for other people, for God and for our neighbor. Jesus says, that's the yoke right? So disciplines prepare us to be good at something else, not just for us, which changes both how we do them and how we judge them, right? So for instance, if we are primarily engaging spiritual disciplines like prayer and silence and solitude for ourselves or for the experience of it. And we go off on some silent retreat for 24 hours and we come back and go, well, I didn't really, I didn't hear God. I didn't experience God. I didn't have this overwhelming wave of the presence of God. We might therefore go, well, then it was a failure. It doesn't work, right? And that's, that's true if Spiritual disciplines are primarily for you, primarily for some experience that you're supposed to get out of them. But if we know that silence and solitude and fasting and feasting and prayer and Bible reading is meant not for me, but to form me into the kind of person who can love God and love my neighbor, then that changes the way in which we evaluate our experience of it, right? So, this might seem kind of counterintuitive, but it shouldn't be because it flows really naturally from one of kind of the foundational Christian beliefs, right? A rule of life isn't for you because you aren't for you, right? Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is talking about sexual immorality actually in verses 19 and uh, before 19 and 20, um, but he's also talking about everything. He says this, he says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. This is a foundational belief of Christianity. You aren't yours. You didn't make yourself. You don't define yourself. You didn't save yourself. You don't control your present. You don't control your future. You are not yours. And there are a few things I would argue in all of Christian theology that are not only more counterintuitive, but actually more countercultural. One of the great priestesses of postmodern culture, Lady Gaga, says it this way Don't you ever let a soul in the world tell you that you can't be exactly who you are. That's the ethos of our world today. Right? And so Lady Gaga and the Apostle Paul are arguing with each other here in their, in their quotes, right? That Paul goes, you're not your own. You were purchased. You were bought for a price. Not only were you purchased in your salvation, but you were made, you were designed, you were given everything that you have. You're not your own. And when we, can, when we can really lean into that idea as Christians, then we realize, man, nothing that we have is ultimately for us. And therefore, a rule of life is not for us. 
The whole ethos of Lady Gaga's vision, it's not just her and she's brilliant and talented, but this whole kind of postmodern culture's ethos of the self is a path to narcissism and a path to unrelenting panic about who you are. Just think about this for a moment. If the, if the greatest ideal is self-expression and self-knowledge, then you are constantly needing to assess who am I and what am I and what's my, how, how do I express myself and how do I know myself and am I expressing enough? And it's a never-ending treadmill of the self. On the other hand, Tim Keller in his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness says this, the problem with self-esteem whether it's high or low, is that every single day we are in the courtroom. And by that he means he's building out this illustration of we are constantly looking for judgment, constantly looking to know are we, are we good or are we bad? Have we self-expressed what are we and who are we? And when our focus is on the self and, and self-esteem is that kind of fi final marker and, and, and the thing that tells us who we are and how valuable we are, we live in a constant courtroom. On the other hand, he says, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Here's the truth. You'll never find peace as long as everything is about you. You see every event insofar as it affects you. Every comment is a slight against you. Every compliment is a lifeline. Every compliment to someone else is kind of a subtle, implicit critique of you. And it is exhausting. So hear this, hear the good news of the gospel that life's not about you. And, and that even you are not about you. You aren't yours. You never have been. You never will be. So improving yourself isn't for you or even actually about you. It's the opposite of everything we hear every day, which means that a rule of life isn't just formational, it's actually counter-formational. It's, un it's an undoing and redoing project. A rule of life breaks down what we're told every day about ourselves and rebuilds a new sense of self and a new sense of purpose, which is that we exist for God and for our neighbor. Okay? So when we live a rule for God and neighbor, then we become for God and neighbor. This is that formational aspect of a rule of life that we talked about last week. Remember, we talked about a rule of life is relational, it's formational, and it's missional. So it's relational in the sense that the whole point of a rule of life is to connect us relationally to God, to be in the presence of God. And when we do that, when we are connected relationally to him, that that forms us in really significant ways. It's not just about behavior modification, it's about character formation. Okay? And that that formation then works itself out missionally in the things that we do and how we act and how we live, right? So when we take on a rule of life, when we embrace a rule of life that is aimed at God and neighbor, then that forms us to be for God and neighbor so that that missional aspect comes naturally out of that character formation that comes out of being in the presence 
of God. Okay, so this is a huge piece. Augustine, very famously, St. Augustine, uh, the very beginning of his uh, confession says this, you, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. Rest is what we talked about a ton last week, that the promise of Jesus's yoke is rest for our souls. And Augustine claims that we will never find that rest as long as our focus is on anything but God first and foremost, right? So let's go back to that vision of the yoke. Us as that second ox yoked to Jesus shouldn't be focused on ourselves. We shouldn't be focused on ourselves. We should be focusing on keeping in step with the stronger ox that we have been tied to and on the mission that that ox is on. That's the whole purpose of having a rule of life. To be yoked to Jesus is to be connected to him, watching him to know, okay, when do we step? So we step in line with one another. Where are we going? So I can turn when he turns and know where, what he knows and go where he goes. That our whole purpose of forming ourselves is to form ourselves into his image and into his likeness to be in step with him. So how do we practically practice a rule of life for God and neighbor. We practice the disciplines as a way to love God. We draw near to him when we read the Bible. We order our lives around him by practicing Sabbath. We sacrifice our time and our money for him in generosity. We walk with him in silence and solitude. We celebrate the gifts that come from him. We rely on him in prayer. We trust in him, listen to him, learn about him, and talk to him. And here's the thing, when we do those things, he receives those things as love. Those are demonstrations of love. He's looking down at us and going, wow, they're, they're orienting their lives around us. They, he, they must love me. He looks down and says, man, they're, they're trusting me. They're entrusting themselves to me. They're present in their future to me. They must love me. They, he sees those and receives those as love. But that's not all. We practice the disciplines as a way to love our neighbor as well. We study the Bible so that we can share the God we know. We pray for and over those in spiritual and physical need. We befriend our neighbors because people were made for each other. We work as a vocation and not an obsession to create real value for the world. We love simply so that we can be generous. We live simply so that we can be generous with those around us. We practice silence and solitude so that we can be a non-anxious presence with our neighbors. This loves them. This is a way that we can practice spiritual disciplines, practice a rule of life in a way that actually is oriented towards our neighbors. That we can go and have silence and solitude, not so we can have some spiritual experience with God, so that we can be settled as a non-anxious presence for those in our lives. That's a way we can practice a spiritual discipline for the sake of the world, for the good of the world. If we can practice the disciplines in this way, we change in ways that actually bless the world around us. Now, all of this starts with a decision. We have to first choose that we want to be the kinds of people who love God and love neighbor. 
We have to start by having a conscious conviction, a conscious choice that we want to be these kinds of people so that we can then choose to engage, to prepare our lives, to practice these things so that we can love God and that we can love neighbor. Jesus was this perfectly for us. He did this so that we might in him grow in our love for God and for neighbor. The life of Jesus prepared him for his moment of sacrifice on the cross. His death was the fullest expression of his character, his love, and his unconditional otherness. But even Jesus had a moment. In the garden, he had to remember who he was and what he was made for. In Matthew chapter 26, he had to choose. He was in great pain and he went to God and said, if there is any other way, and yet not my will, but yours be done. He had to choose to love God and to love us. And thankfully, he chose to walk the path of peace, the path of love for God and neighbor, the path that he laid before us. Will we walk that path? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for making that choice. Thank you for choosing in that moment of great pain and anguish and full knowledge of the sacrifice that, that lay ahead of you, that you chose in that moment to love God by honoring him, by obeying him, by working out his will. And, and you chose to love us by giving your life for us. God, may we not just walk in your footsteps, walk out the example that you set for us, Lord, but may your choice to love us actually be the power that allows us to do this. Lord, the grace that flowed from your death on the cross empowers us to walk in your ways. God, I pray that during this time that we would be willing to sacrifice for the sake of others in our lives, honoring you, imaging you, and blessing those around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Icon Church. For more information, go to iconchurch.org.